the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. <sighs> All I can think of is breathe deep, the gathering gloom. <sighs> angry white mob. An angry white mob surrounded and attacked an African-American woman yesterday. Now, this isn't a headline from the 1960s, and this isn't a headline from CNN. In fact, I can't find this news on CNN. Turning Point USA's Charlie Kirk and Candace Owens having breakfast in Philadelphia when a group of 20 to 30 people began harassing them with bullhorns and throwing liquid at them. Hey, James Acosta, has that happened to you? It's happened to me and my family. If there is a museum of the absurd, this attack should be one of the main exhibits. They were actually screaming into bullhorns directly at Candace Owens, an African-American woman, saying, F white supremacy. These are white people shouting through a bullhorn at a black woman saying, F white superiority. So now what exactly do these radical leftists have a problem with here? Is it that Candace is a woman or that she's black? Or maybe that she had the gall to eat in one of their restaurants and she did it with a white man. Since when did the far left become supporters of Jim Crow? I would love for one spokesperson, one, anyone from Antifa to call and defend this. Call. I will I will give you the platform. I want to hear your defense. I would love clarification. Now the optics here don't look real great. Hmm. But we don't really care about optics, do we, Antifa? Because no one's reporting on you. There's one thing that's true for the far right and the radical left. They have them in common. They are both equally racist. Oh, and by the way, they're also both, both are against the Bill of Rights. If you're in Antifa, maybe somebody like Sarah Zhang or some social justice warrior screaming about white America. If that's that's something that you embrace, maybe you should also embrace the conclusion that may be painful to you that you are a racist and a fascist yourself. You are everything you claim to despise. You are blaming all of your grievances and problems on a race of people. How does that make you any different than the Klan? Oh, I know. That's right. Because the Klan would go out and intimidate people. Ooh, no. Another thing you have in common with the Klan. I don't care if you're in the minority or the majority. If you judge people by their race and not the content of their character, then you are by definition a racist. Now, I know critical thinking is not taught anymore, and I know that what is taught is that all critical and scientific thinking is from the modern age, and we are now postmodern. But I'm sorry, I'm going to be a stick in the mud. 
until they deplatform me. I will say it and say it again. Can no one see how they've turned into everything they despise? Can no one see the similarities between their own movement and the people they claim to be fighting? And I mean that on both sides. If you do a rundown of what the far right and the far left have in common, they really should get along. Really, you should. I know, I know. The difference is fascism and communism. But you've got so much in common. You're both equally racist. You both hate the Bill of Rights. You both hate America. You both want to kill free speech. You both believe in collectivism. You both believe in socialism. You both believe in a strong central government and socialized everything else. I mean, you are a match made, I would say, in heaven, but I don't think so. Jim Acosta and CNN have felt threatened by the crowd at a Trump rally recently. I get it. I've been there, CNN. They say it was all President Trump's fault. Well, then who's to blame when it was happening to me? And by the way, it still does. I wonder, Jim and CNN, if you're going to have a comment You haven't yet. It's been 24 hours, but I'm waiting for a comment on what happened to Charlie and Candace. Or how about Antifa trying to destroy the recruiting center of the Marine Corps? Yeah, you didn't cover that one either. They threw explosives at a Berkeley police station on Sunday. Didn't see that. The mask Antifa member smashing the windows of the Marine Corps recruiting office. That happened on Sunday, along with a bomb throwing. Didn't see that. Go ahead. Go to CNN.com right now. They've got a platform. They'll tell you the truth. They'll tell you the difference between apples and oranges and bananas and grapes. I'll save you the trouble. Neither story is there. They don't report on that. And yet they wonder why people are pissed off. You wonder why groups like the Patriot Prayer are springing up to go fight these guys. News flash to the media. If you want to make things worse, just keep doing what you are doing. Ignoring half of the country and belittling them. Continue not to listen to the worries and the fears. Because that's what you did in the last eight years. You mocked and ridiculed and never had an honest conversation with anyone on the right. And by the way, I define an honest conversation as asking questions whose answers could influence the way you view the world. If a few people giving you the finger and chanting CNN sucks gets you scared. Imagine how terrified an African-American woman was just just this weekend as she was surrounded by a mob of frothing white people. Yeah. One of those things is a little more frightening. (laughs) 
It's Tuesday, August 7th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. I don't want to do my job anymore. I really don't. I don't want to do my job anymore, and yet there's no place that I would rather be. I cannot remain silent. I cannot remain silent. And I just, I don't, I I just, I, I know what's coming. I can see what's coming. We all can. I've warned about it. It's here. It's here. It is here. This is the time that I said there's going to come a time when people will be going in all directions. They won't know what to do. They're going to be trying to follow the wrong people. And you have to be strong enough and know what your principles are to say, don't, don't, don't go there. The rage and the anger that we spoke about is here. And it's only going to get worse And the press is only going to make it worse because they refuse to listen. Such wasted breath. Mainstream media. Why do we have Donald Trump? You've been asking, how could this happen? So, have you come up with an answer yet? I know your original answer, and I think it's still your answer, but I'd be open to hearing another answer from you. I know your answer was, well, America is racist, America is bigoted, America is whatever. That's not the answer. That's not why we have Donald Trump. It's not. The reason why we have Donald Trump, and the reason why people say, well, he just says it like it is, even though he doesn't, even though he doesn't. The reason why people feel that way is because they know who you are. It wasn't long after 9-11 where the sides started to split and first we were told the Patriot Act was so patriot. So patriotic. You are a patriot if you... You're not a patriot if you don't. Well, it wasn't a, pa- wasn't a patriot act. It wasn't. It was an un-American act. And then, good people had differences on the war. But you really, you really did a number by embracing people like Michael Moore. And Cindy Sheehan. Cindy Sheehan, who was a despicable, despicable messenger. And I understand you lose your son and, you know, we have to give you a wide berth. I get that. I get that. I really do. But at some point, common decency also has to be respected. You embraced. You embraced. Alex Jones, he's the father of the 9-11 conspiracy theory. You embraced him. Donald Trump, I mean, uh, George Bush, he knew, he knew, he knew. Now, let's stop here for a second. Why, why do we, do we have Donald Trump today? One reason. When Sandy Berger went in and, and took papers from the National Archives 
that related to both Bush and Clinton. It was barely a blip on the radar. If I went into the National Archives and I stole and destroyed documents, I don't think I'd ever see the light of day. Double standard. People with power. Sandy Berger was not a pariah. Why? Friend of the Clintons. Friend of the Bushes. So, does that help the 9-11 conspiracy theory? No. Nope. Makes it worse. Makes it worse. I do not believe that George Bush had any idea. Nobody had any idea that they were going to fly planes into the building and nobody blew them up. Alex Jones was wrong. And the Democrats that embraced Alex Jones were wrong. And then we had Katrina. And people like Van Jones and the color of what is it? The color of people or the color of change. Those people, those those organizations that said and endorsed the viewpoint of George Bush just hates black people. And you let it slide. Kanye did not have a problem saying that. Not not anywhere. Not anywhere like what he said when he said, why, you know, why do I not? Why can I not? respect the president of the United States if he's Donald Trump, even if I don't agree with him. You wanted him crucified for that. But George George Bush hates black people was fine. Everything was corrupt under George Bush. All of the war, the war dead. Every day we saw the countdown of how many people died. And then a new president was elected who said he was going to stop the war. He expanded the war. And you never told us a body count for eight years. Why do we have Donald Trump? Why do we have Donald Trump? In that eight-year period, you called half of America racist. You didn't even take the time to listen. You didn't, you didn't have an open-up enough mind to say, wait a minute. I don't think 50% of America is a despicable group of garbage people. You didn't give us that respect. You instead called us racist. You instead said, we are plotting against this government. We love the government. We love the Constitution of the United States of America. We do not like the government in the way it is enacting those things because it is corrupt. And you know it is. You can't tell me. Why did you, why did you turn so hard on your beloved Queen uh, Clinton? Why? Why? Because you know she's corrupt. You know it just as much as we know it, but you ignored it. Why do we have Donald Trump? Because you have isolated 50% of this nation. You have lied to us. You have told us you're better than us. You have told us that you're smarter than us. Some of us still believe in the idea 
that man can rule himself, that I don't need a, 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 a day sitter. I don't need somebody to tell me what to do, what to eat, where to go, who to hire, who to fire. Some of us still believe in those individual rights. You don't. You think you know what's better. And yesterday, your claims on, on, on MSNBC, where you're all sitting around as a group of journalists saying, we need another word for socialism, is evidence of that. You think we're so stupid that if you just change the name of socialism to happy free stuff for everybody, we'll just go along with it. And you know what? Because you've controlled the education system in this country for so long and you've destroyed it from the core, you just might be right. You cannot go over the cliff with the rest of humanity. I know how you feel. I know how you feel. I have a lot to talk to you about today. And some of it's going to be uncomfortable. But none of it can lead to anger and outrage. We have to find a way away from that. Because it is going to tear us apart. We are at the point of choosing. Will we live or will we die as a nation? Will we live or will we die as a Western culture? I hate to say this because it's so very controversial, but choose life. So tomorrow night... Cryptocurrency expert Tika Tawari is holding an important live Q&A. I urge you to be there. Uh, there's a lot going on in the uh, cryptocurrency markets. Uh, so to help you through it, uh, Tika is holding a live Q&A tomorrow night at 8 p.m. as a follow-up to the event that uh, we had on July 19th. So tomorrow night, Tika is going to be updating you on the latest developments in the cryptocurrency space over the last two weeks. He's going to answer all of your burning questions uh, live on that call. Feedback to the event was truly overwhelming, and uh, he's preparing this to be an extended session. So he has time to get to your comments and your questions. Um, you can register for the Q&A. Go to BeckCryptoShow.com, BeckCryptoShow.com. And register for the Q&A. There's a lot going on. And I don't know. I have a few questions for myself. You can um, uh, answer. Have your questions uh, answered. All you have to do is just follow the prompts. Hope to see you there. Profitable evening, hopefully, for you. BeckCryptoShow.com. That's tomorrow night. BeckCryptoShow.com. I tell you, um, freedom of speech and the Bill of Rights only mean something when you stand for things you do not want to stand for. My record on Alex Jones is very clear. I think he is destructive. I think he is poison. I think he is dangerous. I think he's, I think there is a chance he's deeply unsettled as a human being. Um, but I want to talk to you about freedom of speech. Oh, you, this is private companies. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know. I know, but we have to have an adult conversation about digital ghettoization. Well, yeah, really, what's that mean? That's just another stupid digital 
ghettoization, it's a term that every American should learn quickly. More in a minute. So in the 1930s, the, uh, the Nazis uh, began to search the world over for uh, laws and ways that they could eventually um, do the final solution. They were all insane. Um, and yet they were perfectly rational. They went and they, they looked at all of the laws. And a lot of the laws that led to the Nuremberg Laws in Germany uh, came from the United States. And the way Jim Crow laws were enacted here. And how we could separate people from race, uh, by race. And, and, you know, what made an African American an African American. One drop of blood was the rule here. One drop of blood. The Nazis thought that went too far. They thought that was too extreme. And so they came up with their own laws and ways you could decide if someone was Jewish or if they were German and Aryan. And then they just said things like, you know, you, you can't use a radio. You can't use a car. And they just started nibbling around the edges. You shouldn't have a voice in teaching. We don't need any of that Jewish nonsense around here. And they took it, and people just got further and further away from the main square. Then everybody had to live in a certain section, the Jewish ghetto. And then Germans just walled them in. We're going to move you here. Hey, they're free. They're still free. They just live behind that wall. But they're totally free. What? What? You know what? We, you're right. You're right. The ghetto's a bad thing. We're going to throw them on a train, and we're going to send them to some paradise. It's going to be great. We don't, I don't have the thing against the Jews, although we would like to see all of them dead. We're just going to give them their own little special place to live. And everybody was fine because, you know, it's the Jews. You don't have to wall people up anymore. You can have the digital media do that. See, why do we have Donald Trump? We have Donald Trump because people said the media is lying to us they are covering for the corruption there's a double standard and they're stepping on anyone's throat who disagrees with them they do it in the universities and they're doing it in the media i i have nothing against them i i just think that there's another way to do it So there was a double standard. It was the lack of consistency. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're going to put a guy who took a picture for his children of the inside of a submarine. You're going to put him in prison. But Hillary Clinton is good. That's all good to go. No. Why do we have Donald Trump? Because you were inconsistent. Now. The new media comes in and the new media says, you don't have to do that. You don't have to play those games. You're in charge. All you have to do is tell us who you like, who you want to follow, who you want to listen to. And the algorithm will make it sure that they come to the top of your feed. Until that new media got so big and so powerful that they decided now that they had to be the arbiter of truth. 
because the mainstream media was no longer credible. We're not getting our news from mainstream media anymore. We're getting it online. We're getting it from Twitter or Facebook. So now they have a responsibility. And so even though they told us we were in charge, their algorithm shadow blocks people. So in other words, if you signed up and said, I want to get everything from Glenn Beck, you're not getting everything from Glenn Beck. Their algorithm is sorting through. You don't mean you really want Glenn Beck. Well, there's some other things you probably like better than Glenn Beck. No, excuse me. I signed up. I want to follow that person. And when that doesn't work, then they start just blocking us and narrowing our voice, and they start building a wall around us between you, me and you. We agreed that we wanted to talk to each other. Well, it's just getting too hateful. Oh, okay. All right. So blocking me or making it harder for my audience. And by the way, that seems inconsistent. Well, it's, we got to get rid of hate speech. Okay. Can you help me out with, with Sarah Zhang from the New York Times who did all those tweets? F white people. And when, when Candace did it just over the weekend, it took you 20 minutes to ban her. She reversed it. She's an African-American that said F black people. And she used all of the, she just quoted all of the tweets. She just reversed the race. You banned her in 20 minutes. Seems inconsistent. Why do we have Donald Trump? Because you're not consistent. So I'm going to say something that I know is controversial because I'm already getting beaten up uh, on online for saying this this morning. Digital ghettoization. You don't need to round people up anymore. All you have to do is make sure there's a wall around them digitally so they, they can talk all they want. Talk all you want, buddy. Talk, 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 talk. No one will hear you. We've put you in a ghetto, and we've built a wall around you. And you're free to do everything. You do everything you want. Well, Glenn, now, wait, wait a minute. When it comes to Alex Jones, I mean, he said some reprehensible things. I know. I've been consistent on Alex Jones since the first time I heard him. I'm probably the only one in the media that has a 20-year, long-standing, very clear record on Alex Jones being despicable. So I know who he is. But we're entering a time where there is a distinction without difference. The government's not doing this. Private companies are doing this. Yes, So you're right. That is a distinction. But what in the end is the difference? When I saw that LinkedIn, LinkedIn banned him, LinkedIn, what did he, how did he violate LinkedIn? Can LinkedIn show me what rules he violated on LinkedIn? This is a mob. Everybody wants their bonus points. Everybody wants their brownie points. Yeah, we got rid of him too. What did he violate on LinkedIn? Help me out. Now, I happen to have a a tweet from Christina Warren. 
And she said, F white people. She used the whole word F white people. Now, why do I bring this up? Because I'm pretty sure she's on LinkedIn and um, she is a vice president of Microsoft that owns LinkedIn. Now, there was no trouble with her saying F white people. I'm, I'm just wondering. Did. Did he do something worse than that? On LinkedIn? Here's why it's important to know. Even the Nazis sat down and wrote down all of the rules. If you don't have rules and your problem is inconsistency, what's causing our turmoil is there are no rules. There's nothing cut in stone. Not even our gender. Nothing is in stone. There is no absolute truth. There is no list that you can say, well, I don't want to do that. I'd like to know from LinkedIn. I know what Alex Jones did. I told you long before you were ever on the Alex Jones bandwagon how bad and how dangerous this guy was. So I'm very well aware. And it does mean absolutely no good to defend the position of freedom of speech with Alex Jones, but the Bill of Rights only counts when it hurts you personally to stand. And this one's killing me. I would just like the list because it seems as though it's a little bit subjective right now. And if you can't tell me specifically what that list is, I'm concerned you could do that to other people. Because I don't know if anybody else has noticed, but we're entering a time of the McCarthy hearings. You're not even given a microphone and told to sit in front of Congress. You're just gone. And it's happening on both sides. So I just like to know what the rules are. Because I can guarantee you that my company will play by the rules. My company will know the difference between what you can and cannot do on each platform. And if we violate them, we will know and we will have knowingly violated them and say to ourselves, if we do that, that will probably get us kicked off. Well, it's more important that we say that at least I'll know going in. Specifically LinkedIn, I'd like to start with you. What rule did he violate? Because I certainly don't want to be put into your digital ghetto. Do you want the LinkedIn statement on uh, their decision? Now, the Alex, jo- Alex Jones seems to still be up on LinkedIn, but InfoWars has been removed. Uh, They say, we have removed the InfoWars company page for violating our terms of service. We value the professional community on LinkedIn and strive to create a platform where the exchange of ideas by professionals can happen without harmful misinformation, bullying, harassment, or hate. We encourage our members to report any inappropriate content or behavior. Mm. We investigate, and if it's in violation, take action, Mm -hmm. which could include removing the content or suspending the account. So what were the complaints against him? What did they complain that he did? What, what exactly did they do? I know, I know all of the things about, you know, the, you know, the, the 
crisis actors and there was no shootings. I know how despicable he is. I'd like to know specifically no, and what did they say he was doing to bully people on LinkedIn? And tell me what the new thing is, because he's been doing all of this stuff for 20 years, 20 years. All of a sudden, because Apple decided to take the first plunge, now everyone's just jumping on the bandwagon because now it's easy. And look, yes, is he is he is he passing around harmful misinformation? Sure, sure yes, he is. is. He's been doing it the entire time. So you're you're right. Like there's, it, but there is a difference here. Do you think this is going to make it better? LinkedIn, Twitter, you know, uh, SoundCloud, uh, all of these, all of these. Oh, by the way, new on Pinterest. Pinterest. Pinterest has taken down. Pinterest. <laughs> okay. So you think this is making it better? What do you think the people who listen to you've just proved him right? And by the way, I'd like to know how come Louis Farrakhan is still everywhere? What does Louis Farrakhan have to do? Why is there a double standard there with Louis Farrakhan? Oh, I remember, because I remember asking this question in the 1980s, and at least it made sense to me. You don't want to ban anybody. You don't want to make, you don't want to silence and quash anybody because you'll make them into a martyr. And it'll make their arguments stronger. That's not what we do in America. What the hell do you, what are you thinking? You think this is going to make this better? When a guy who says, they're going to come for me, they're going to come for me, they're going to silence me, and it'll just prove that I'm right. And then you come for him and you silence him? What are you, a moron? What do you not believe? Here's the answer. Here's the answer. I'll pose it as a question, but this is the answer. What is it? Do you not believe that the American people should be trusted to be able to look at everything and come to the right conclusion? Your actions through journalism have answered that question for decades. My Patriot Supply. Boy, I don't, you know, I I just don't. May I recommend that, uh, you know, just for any old reason i mean just could be anything civil war anything russian hackers you know loss of the power grid from russians you know things anything it could be anything could be wildfires um it could be the fact that fema said that uh they can't they can't handle all of the disasters uh this year and you're not going to have fema coming to help you this year okay all right If your home had no power for several weeks because of Russian hackers or because of, uh, you know, a hurricane. What happens if you had to get out of your house quickly and your house burns down in the California wildfires? There's no power. There's no grocery stores around. You have to pay everything out of pocket. Now, how do you survive? Please, food storage, long-term power outage, natural disaster. It doesn't matter. It's grab and go. It's My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply. They sell dozens, dozens of emergency food kits as well as gravity-powered water filtration systems at MyPatriotSupply.com. MyPatriotSupply.com. Please prepare yourself for the worst and then don't worry about it. MyPatriotSupply.com. 
Glenn Beck. Welcome to the program. Uh, ah, it's a little feisty today. Glad you're here. Hadn't noticed. You're just kind of focusing on the wrong thing, in my opinion, however. Mm. Uh, Alex Jones, First Amendment, or mm. free speech in a civil society. No, just just consistency. Work? I just yeah. want the rules. I just... I just want to know what the rules are. That's all and I want. That's, uh, you know, that's part of this conversation. I think the bigger part, though, is uh, we can't ban Alex Jones because of the comedy. Think of all the comedy we would that's lose true. if Alex Jones uh, goes that away. Is true. And I'm not going to go seek it out. I just, it's got to be. It's Can gotta we be. do an Alex Jones retrospective? Uh, We've got to do an Alex Jones retrospective because that could. T- I mean, just the memorial service there could last an hour with some of the stuff. I was looking at Rolling Stone's top Alex Jones conspiracy theories, and yeah, you know, government controls the weather, pizza restaurant, uh, you know, all that. The last one: former Fox News host Glenn Beck is a CIA operative. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, wait, why aren't you laughing? Don't laugh. <gasps> I'm a double O. Glenn Beck. In his book, "What Are Journalists For?" Jay Rosen writes. The flow of information from source to public through the media is not a simple matter of bringing information to light. It is about instilling citizens with an attentiveness to information that is vigilant and productive. Okay. We've all heard about Sarah Zhang, Asian journalist hired by the New York Times editorial staff, despite having several years worth of undoubtedly, undeniably racist tweets. Andrew Sullivan penned an excellent article uh, on the ordeal, and he concludes, yes, we all live on a campus now. The neo-Marxist analysts of society, in which we are all mere appendages of uh, various groups of oppressors and oppressed, and in which the oppressed definitely cannot be at fault, is now the governing philosophy in almost all liberal media. That is how the Washington Post can provide a platform for contempt and the New York Times can hire and defend someone who expresses racial, racial hatred. The great thing about being in the social justice movement is how liberating it can feel to give voice to incendiary, satisfying bigotry and know that you're still on the right side of history, end quote. So since the story blew up, we've talked about it on this program a lot. And so you know, in case you missed it, I don't believe that she should be fired Largely because we have to put an end to these insane social media lynchings. This is not what I this is not what I believe. It's not what I even want to talk about. This whole thing revolves around the same thing we talked about last hour with Alex Jones. Consistency. Alex Jones, crazy conspiracy theorist, says hateful things that could cause violence. Louis Farrakhan. Same thing. Why is one okay? Why is the other not? A house divided against itself cannot stand. A kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. The divided house in this case is the New York Times, and they deserve to fall. But they won't, because they'll continue to be propped up by this whole new philosophy. After the Zhang incident, the newspaper released her her following statement. Her journalism and the fact that she's a young Asian woman has made her frequent uh, of online harassment. For a period of time, she responded to that harassment by imitating the rhetoric of her harassers. She now sees that this approach only served to feed the vitriol that we often see on social media. Okay, so, wow, that's very kind. 
You going to forgive everybody else? There are so many instances of double standards within the New York Times, so many reasons that this statement reveals it as a broken house. For now, I'd just like to look at, at one New York Times article in particular. It's from earlier this year. It's following the Roseanne tweets. The article was headlined, Roseanne is gone, but the culture that gave her a show isn't. Now, the article is fairly alarmist, lumping all white people together as bigoted and hateful. We expect that from the New York Times. The paper ran a handful of really huffy articles decrying Roseanne's obscene racism. And one perfect example appears in the introduction of the hard news piece about the matter. Roseanne Barr crosses the line and ABC draws one. They've deleted that now. It now reads, when people decide to let racism slide, it costs for the rest of us. Yes, you heard that right from the New York Times. When people decide to let racism slide, it costs for the rest of us, end quote. The article concludes with this. I'll be cynical again tomorrow, but for now, I'm glad that a corporation had the opportunity to think not only of its bottom line, they chose to draw a line instead. Hmm. Well, we know that about ABC. Um, New York Times, can you tell me where your line is? It's Tuesday, August 7th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. All right, let's move forward and have a dangerous conversation, shall we? So let's, let's have a conversation and ask questions we're not supposed to ask. Talk to somebody we probably shouldn't talk. There's a new book out, How Modern Feminism Lost Touch with Science, Love, and Common Sense. It's called Sex Matters, and it's Mona Sharon, uh, New York Times uh, bestselling author. And, uh, and I would imagine somebody that would easily fit Mona into the intellectual dark web. <laughs> um, I would have to plead guilty to that. Yeah, I think. Okay, good, um, good. Yeah, yeah. Good. All right, so let's have that conversation that, that uh, everybody is... Uh, is saying that we shouldn't have for one reason or another. You know, so much of what is wrong in America today involves the breakdown of understanding between men and women and basic understandings about human sexuality and about family life and about those just basic things that there are differences between men and women, that they are complementary, doesn't mean one is inferior and one is superior. Um, that uh, a, a thriving society is not possible without um, healthy families at the root that uh, create solid citizens and happy individuals. And um, so that's what I set out to do in this book, is talk about the ways in which feminism in particular, and also feminism's uh, linking with the sexual revolution, have um, undermined our uh, happiness. And, uh, you know, there is data showing that women in particular are, not only are they not more happy because of the advances of feminism over the last 40 years, they're less happy. They are less happy now than women were in 1972. Women today are less happy than their mothers were at the same stage of life or even their grandmothers. Now, see, if we weren't having an adult conversation, I could take that line and say, Mona Sharon just said that women should go back to the kitchen and they should, you know, be subservient to their husband and not work. Mm-hmm. Right. I get that a lot. Right. Um, 
which is so simple-minded. Look, you know, one can applaud the changes in the economy. And by the way, a lot of the reason that women have more opportunities is because the economy changed, Um, not just the feminist movement, but they were um, the economy changed from an industrial economy to a knowledge-based economy, which created many more opportunities for women. Um, so that's that's one thing. But um, look, I'm not afraid to give feminism credit for certain changes in our society, for saying that, you know, old stereotypes about uh, that, that were limiting um, needed reform, and that's fine. But I challenge them to uh, admit that they also made some serious mistakes. They signed on to the sexual revolution in a big way. They believed that the sexual revolution was going to be a great thing for women, that if men could be promiscuous, women should too, and that this would be terrific. It would lead to some sort of idyllic uh, future in which marriage would be gone and all rules about sexual behavior would be gone and everybody would be uh, lubricious and, and, and sleeping around and it would be wonderful. And it turned out it's not so wonderful. And <laughs> Look around. Uh, look at the campus rape problem that we have. Look at the uh, look at the bitterness between men and women and the misunderstanding. So that's one thing. And the other huge mistake they made was was defaming and uh, denigrating the family and marriage. So let, let me let me go here for, for a second. Um, you know, talk a little bit about the denigration of the family, but also the denigration of men. Men mm-hmm. men are. Men are evil and uh, nobody knows how to be a man anymore. Nobody. I mean, the hell with chivalry. Just being a man is not accepted. There are so few acknowledgments in our culture now that masculinity can be a positive good. Right. There is there's all kinds of talk on college campuses. And as you were saying earlier, you know, we're all everything is a college campus now. And um, our whole society is dominated by that style of thinking. And um, what you read and, and are taught on college campuses is that there's something called toxic masculinity that has to be reformed, drummed out. Um, but you never get, and you're saying men don't know how to behave. Well, young men are never taught anymore what mm. the positive ways are to express their masculinity. I've tried in my newspaper columns to cite examples of when, uh, of when masculinity in its natural state is a, is a wonderful thing that we give should be ex- appreciating. Give me an example. Well, so, you know, you remember the um, uh, terrorist who attacked that train in mm-hmm. France. Mm-hmm. came out of the bathroom, he had automatic weapons, and six men, not women, and women have plenty of virtues, but this isn't one of them, okay, and in, 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 most of the time. So six men jumped up and took him on, even though they were unarmed, and, uh, and, they, and they fought him to a standstill, and they saved God knows how many lives. Um, there was an episode in Aurora, Colorado, where a crazed gunman opened fire on a movie theater, Four young men put their own bodies over their girlfriends to protect them. Three died in the act. One was severely injured. Um, That is the kind of thing that is inherent in masculinity, too. It isn't just masculinity is not just all about trying to get women in bed or being aggressive or being uh, being impossible, you know, or being a boor. 
masculinity has a positive side. And so when you're trying to civilize young men, you can't do it by telling them that they're rotten and horrible and toxic and that uh, they have to become more like women. You have to say, you have tremendous capacity to be good. You also have the capacity to be evil. So do women. And the job of any good society is to teach them to make the most out of what those masculine virtues are. Look, they do have a lot of energy. They do have a tremendous amount of sexual interest, boys do. I raised three boys. Um, that's part of the male makeup. But what you do is you, is you channel it into telling boys that they are to use their strength for good, that they are to protect the weak and the small, not, not abuse their strength against the weak and the small. And um, and that's how you make good men. And you know this isn't this isn't rocket science. I mean, societies have been doing this for centuries and millennia. Well, um, I, I would say that the Judeo-Christian Western world has been trying to do this for a long time, and we're rejecting all of that, all of it. That's right. That is absolutely right. And um, you know, the um, the model when you think about the word gentleman gentle man, right? You want to teach men to be more gentle than their natures would necessarily dictate. The feminists think they've discovered this, except, except that they call it toxic masculinity. I think that's the wrong way to say it. <laughs> what the, you know, I think they just make more enemies and, and, uh, and get people's backs up. What they should be saying is that men and women together, when they marry, understand the basic nature of men and women and boys and girls, and they work with that. By the way, little girls have a lot of traits that need to be socialized away also to the degree that we can. Little girls, I don't know if you have children. I have four. Three little girls and one boy. All right. Well, little girls can use their words in an incredibly cruel way. No. Um, (laughs) No, it's almost like you've had a teenager. (laughs) Um, I had three boys, but I was a little girl, so Mm -hmm. I can tell you that I know whereof Mm -hmm. I speak. And, um, And so girls have to be taught also to curb those those aggressive aspects of their own natures that they tend to express more through cutting gossip and and social uh, uh, social cruelty rather than um, physical the physical kind uh, in general but um, but you know we've gotten so the the feminists injected into our cultural bloodstream this notion of the war between the sexes, that this is all about a fight between men and women. And really, it isn't. It has to be, in order to create good people, men and women have to cooperate, and they have to be realistic about the way nature made us. You know, one of the things that I say to young people when I speak to them is, if you accept as a given that there are certain basic tendencies on the part of men and women, it helps you to not take it so personally when your husband or your boyfriend, for example, is just not into talking about feelings for three hours. You know, you, you, you're not going to be um, um, caught un, unawares. You're going to realize that that's just kind of the way men are, and you have to limit your expectations for just, just quite how much they can talk about their feelings. That's why you have girlfriends and sisters and so forth. Okay, so Mona, um, I have to take a break, but I would like to ask you to hold on because I want to ask you one question about gender. Um, you have done your your work on that. And, uh, you know, we have like 172 genders now. Uh, yeah. And I would just I would just like your position on uh, on gender when we come back. 
Mona Sharon. She is uh, the author of the new book, Sex Matters, How Modern Feminism Lost Touch with Science, Love, and Common Sense. Owning a home has never been easier, and uh, if you need a home loan, you're buying your first home or your next home or an investment home or you even want to just refi, now is the time to do it with American Financing. Let them customize the right loan program for you. They're going to give a, a pre-approval letter really fast. You'll know exactly how much money you can qualify for, and you can expect to uh, close faster than you know any other loan process because the in-house underwriting is there making the decision-making, is making the decisions right there. So... It's American Financing. If you want it done right, want it done fast, you want people that work for you, not for the banks, it's American Financing. AmericanFinancing.net. Call them now, 1-800-906-2440. 1-800-906-2440. It's AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing Corporation, NMLS, 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Mona Sharon is uh, with us. Um... I think a uh, an, a member of uh, the intellectual dark web, I think. Um, I would put her in there. Um, she is uh, a woman who is uh, unafraid of doing the research and then coming back with the scientific uh, answer and also the answer that is proven out to be true uh, throughout history. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about the, um, the you know, the 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 hundred and I don't know even know how many genders there are now. And it is it's it's really to me, it's ridiculous. Talk me out of that. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you came to the wrong place. I, th- I thought I did. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I when you look around at our society and you see parents who when they have a newborn, they refuse to say whether it's a boy or a girl oh my gosh. because they don't want to impose on the child a gender. Uh, they say the child will decide when it's older. Um, look, it, George Orwell once said that uh, the first duty of intelligent men is the restatement of the obvious. And uh, I think that applies very much to our time when we are so nuts on the subject of gender. Now, how did this all begin? It began because of the feminists, the second wave feminists, not the suffragists, they were sane, but the second wave feminists decided that there were no differences between men and women that were not just obvious anatomical differences. And they went a, a good way toward trying to claim, for example, when a little there was a botched circumcision, horrible story, but there was a horrible. botched circumcision of a little boy whose penis was removed, and uh, this was in the 70s. And they said, the feminists all argued, yes, you know, raise him as a girl, you'll never know, he'll never know, and so on. And it was a terrible tragedy. And it's a kind of hubris where they thought, they could n- refuse to acknowledge nature, refuse to acknowledge reality, and hey, reshape it. Hang on, just a, a, hang on, just a second. You've the, you, you've, I'm, I'm thrilled that you know this story. Of course, you do, but most people don't. Um, yep. This was a a botched circumcision. He lost his penis. He was raised as a child. He was put through therapy of one of the of one of the guys who is still beloved as a guy who you know did gender studies. Doctor John Money, who invented the term gender identity. Yeah, and he was having the the two twins mount each other as kids. They ended up the 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 one that was treated as a girl ended up killing himself just recently in the last few that is years. True. It's, that is true. It is a, a terrible it, tragedy. It is a monstrous story. And it that's is. where this gender identity stuff 
comes from. And it absolutely does. And I will tell you that, that in my book, Sex Matters, I, I go back and quote the New York Times that did this sort of very uh, lavish coverage of the that so-called girls coming out at a scientific conference when she was about eight years old. And uh, the New York Times said, you see that she's doing great as a little girl, Brenda, they called her, him. Um, and they said, this proves that the feminists were right, that gender is a social construct. And so, you know, that is the root of our current difficulty is that the feminists insisted on this. But here's the twist. okay? so the feminists said in the 1970s and John Money, I put him in that category. Wait, wait, wait. I don't want to cut you off. I don't want to cut you off. We have 30 seconds left. Listen, before you start that story, let's take a break and then we'll come back uh, and uh, and join and get the rest of the story. If you do not know, you don't know the story of of gender identity and its history holy cow are you in for a wild ride um and mona will continue on that coming up in just a second sex matters is the name of her book how modern feminism lost touch with science love and common sense back at you're listening to the glenn beck program we're with mona sherry and uh or sharon and she is uh uh, the author of the new book, uh, Sex Matters, and we were just in the midst of her telling us uh, uh, about gender um, uh, gender roles and what gender means. And uh, she was telling the story of of a doctor who I think is it was sick, really, truly disturbed. Um, and uh, he's the guy who started, you know, this whole gender identity nonsense. And it started because of a botched surgery, not by him, but by somebody else, a botched surgery of circumcision where the boy's penis was cut off and he was a twin, twin boys. So this doctor came in and said, raise him as a girl because, you know, gender is just, you know, it's it's just it's all, um, you know, upbringing. So just treat him like a girl and and he'll become a girl. And we just got to the point of the story where um, he, uh, who everyone tried to force into a she, uh, was uh, was had a coming out, and the New York Times was praising it and saying, "See, the feminists are right." Back to mm-hmm. you, Mona. Yeah. So they said, "You see, the, the feminists are right. It's all about how you raise children, and uh, this gr- little girl is developing perfectly normally." Well, that was a lie. Uh, not necessarily the New York Times was lying, but it turned out that that was the story they were given. Not true. This little boy was constantly tearing off the dresses that he was put in. He wanted to urinate standing up, even though his penis was gone. You know, th- there were all of these problems that he was having. Eventually, he to- he became suicidal, and his parents revealed to him when he was a teenager what had happened and then he insisted on living as a man he eventually married but the but the initial trauma was so bad uh and by the way he went through many many surgeries in both directions awful story but uh, anyway he did eventually commit suicide uh, the accumulated trauma Mm-hmm. Dr. John Money, the one who said that uh, sexuality was completely mutable, is now the father of uh, sexual the, the term gender identity. Do you see what happened was that these feminists of the 1970s claimed there were no differences between the sexes, but science caught up with them. And, um, for example, I quote Diane Halpern who is the uh, former president of the American Psychological Association, who wrote a book about sex differences in the brain, different cognitive abilities. Sorry, Glenn, are you sitting down? Yeah, um, yeah. 
Okay, uh, men are better at math than women. Mm, okay? Not in my house. I mean, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, there are going to be individual variations, sure. but at the very high end, there are men over uh, men outnumber women at the high end of math and science ability by about thirteen to one. Sure. Doesn't mean there are no women in that category, but there are a, a minority. No, no, wait a men, minute. That can't be because Google is having a hard time getting... Exactly. See, my book is relevant to everything that's going on right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, men also outnumber women, by the way, at the lower end of the spectrum. They have more mental retardation. They have more ADHD. They have more problems. So that's the way nature did things. Um, but um, so nature caught uh, so so science caught up. Science figured out, and Diane Halpern, this former head of the APA, said, "You know, I I wasn't prepared. I thought that all these differences were cultural until I reviewed the literature, and then I realized it's just not true. There are biological differences in thinking." Um, and so because the science caught up with them, because it taught us all about the role of hormones and so on and so forth, and there have been studies on infants, you know, just a few days old, and they can see differences in the way baby girls and baby boys respond to stimuli and all kinds of evidence. Okay, so what did they do? Did they say, okay, I guess we were wrong. Um, it turns out there really are differences that are interesting and important between men and women. Nope. They said there's this thing called gender identity. And that's the thing that is completely mutable. That's the thing that can change and is totally subjective. And so when a child is born, they're now telling us, you don't know whether their gender identity, their, their, their subjective feelings about themselves are male or female or some other gender, which, you know, they've invented. Um, and so that's how they have retreated into this realm of pure subjectivity. And I, you know, am pretty tough in the book on the people. Look, I don't care what adults do. If adults want to change their bodies and go through surgeries and dress like the other sex, that's totally fine. It's a free country. But what is happening with children is really, really dangerous Dangerous. and tragic. It is tragic. Children go through stages. I went through a stage when I was a little girl. I was a tomboy. I liked to play with boys' trucks, and I liked to dress like a boy and climb trees. God forbid I would be a little boy today because they might, my parents might be told, look, you know, by experts, you need to ratify. Oh, I asked to be called Timmy. I asked the kids to call me Timmy. I thought that was great. Imagine. I mean, if that were true today, my parents would probably be told that they had to ratify my sexual, my my gender identity. Mona, you are, you, you don't even know how oppressed you are. (laughs) <laughs> you were oppressed by your parents, and now you're in denial. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah, I'm in denial, and I've had three children. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mona. <laughs> other than the, the other than the fundamental right to choose your gender when you're seven years old, uh, we are yeah. told as we're going into you know, people are talking about the Supreme Court. It's been in the news. We're told that the ultimate fundamental f- female right is the right to abortion. You write in the book, the elevation of abortion as a key feminist principle reveals the moral bankruptcy of the feminist movement. It has severed the ageless bond between mother and child, hardening women against their own weak and utterly defenseless unborn children. The feminist embrace of abortion is also a rejection of femininity itself. That's got to be winning you a lot of friends. Well, it's the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the feminists did not have to become... Uh, cheerleaders for abortion. Uh, the earliest feminists, the suffragettes, who I also quote in the book, were opponents of abortion. They saw abortion as another kind of oppression of women by men. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And uh, the fact is, one would have thought that one of the nicest aspects of human nature is the love between parents and children, fathers and children, mothers and children. Um, this is one of the basics of human life that uh, that we like to see in animals. You know, we see a mother, you know, be taking good care of her cubs, a mother bear, and we say, isn't that great? It's moving, it's touching. And yet when it comes to us, uh, we say that it's a human right to kill our unborn children. Um, it's, it's, it's cruel, it's barbaric. I think the day will come when we will look back on this with shame and feminists have a lot to answer for on this. They made it their marquee issue. Pona, let me ask you, um, I have been doing in the last year a lot of research on the postmodernist movement. And I don't think we are anymore in the progressive era. I think we have, we're now at that crossroads. We're at the threshold to where we've entered into the postmodern era where all of that teaching and all of that nonsense that there is no truth and everything else is starting to take root and people don't know what to do. They don't, they don't want to go back, but they also don't want to go forward because they see this is insane. Mm-hmm. How much of, how much of a role do you think postmodernist theory is playing on what's happening today? Oh, I definitely think that you're you're onto something there. That we are in the postmodernist moment, and um, it's affecting both the left and the right now. Yeah, it is. Um, where you know, it's the truth is is utterly subjective. Truth is not an objective thing that you can you can prove and you can rely on. Uh, everybody has their truth. You know, Oprah used to say that. You know, that yeah. people were speaking their truth. There is no your truth and my truth. There's only the truth. And admittedly, we have to be modest about our understanding and about our ability to grasp the truth. That's one of the lessons that I've learned over a long career is that, you know, arrogance is the enemy of understanding and Mm -hmm. you have to be open to the possibility that the other side has something to teach you uh, and that you may not have the truth as firmly in your grasp as you think. Um, but you cannot give up on the idea that there is reality, that there is objective truth. You know, water will freeze at 32 degrees Fahrenheit, whether I believe in it or not. Well, it is good to talk to uh, somebody who's unafraid. To Are you afraid ever to say things? No. I Well, Emmanuel I mean, I, I, Kant said one of my favorite quotes. Um, uh, and I, I remember reading into the 90s and thinking, I can't imagine a world like that. But I, we're living in it now. He said, there are many things that I believe that I shall never say, but I shall never say the things that I do not believe. Mm. Well, that's a beautiful quote. That's right. Um, and But there are so many people now who say things they don't believe all the time. I know. And uh, you know it, and you, you watch their lips moving, and you think, I know you know that's not true. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Mona, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, oh, the, thank you, Mo- uh, Glenn. It was a real pleasure. You bet. Uh, the name of the book is Sex Matters. Mona Sharon, she is, uh, she is somebody that... Uh, I put into the, you know, the intellectual dark web uh, category that is uh, not coming with an agenda, is uh, not playing for a team, just to believe something, has used the science to back it up and is immovable. The name of the book, again, is Sex Matters. Let me talk to you a little bit about our sponsor this half hour. It's Simply Safe Home Security really fantastic protection um here's here's why 
Um, Simply Safe made a, um, a a system years ago that was they just really made for friends. Um, they were all in college, and the guy who started Simply Safe, I don't know, he was a you know getting his master in I don't know electrical engineering or something. He was at MIT, and um, and so he's super smart and he's trying to. Everybody's getting robbed, and they they don't own the houses or the apartments so they can't you know wire the security and they're going to they can't sign a long contract because they're in their students they're going to be gone in 8 months and so he decides i can make something for you and he makes a system for them and it takes off and the everybody in the neighborhood wants one he's like i think i have a business here and it became simply safe now it's a billion dollar company and it protects businesses it protects homes it has cameras glass break sensors Everything that you need, and it comes without wires, it comes without packages, boxes, and bags, it comes without contracts. It is simply safe. No contracts, no hidden fees, $14.99 a month. If you want the 24-7 security monitoring, you can get it. You can do it month by month. Doesn't matter. There's no contract. And you'll save 10% right now at simplysafebeck.com. That's simplysafebeck.com. If you listen to Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, it's really good. It's really good. Revisionist history, especially this last season. Uh, I think I think I told you to listen to one about Brian Williams. Yeah, and usually when you suggest things, I don't listen, but that one was really a good, uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, a good suggestion. It was fascinating because it was sort of a revisiting of the Brian Williams scandal, um, where if you remember correctly, Brian... There's uh, a liar. He's a liar, and he because he said he was shot at, and his ho- his helicopter was hit over uh, over Iraq, I believe, in 2003 ish. And you know, over time, he started off telling the story accurately, and it sort of meshed into this thing where he was taking credit for this heroic act. He told the story on Letterman, and in the end, lost his job and his credibility over it. And Gladwell's uh, case, and it's backed up by a lot of science, which was pr- pretty interesting, is that. We as humans believe our memories are perfect video captures of a moment. Mm-hmm. And science and study after study after study shows this, that it's not, that we actually screw these things up all the time. And the way they, quickly, they use these things called flashbulb moments. So like 9-11 is a flashbulb moment. We all remember where we were on 9-11. And scientists, because you know they're nerds and they're using us for their own purposes, every, every time one of these things happen, they do a study called a flashbulb moment study. And they'll go and, and interview all these people about what they were doing at that moment. So right after 9-11, and there's many examples of this, they go and they talk to people and they say, what were you doing at this moment? And they have them write it down in their own handwriting their exact memories of what they were doing. Then they go back to them five and 10 years later and say, what were you doing on 9-11 without showing them the piece of paper? They recount their memories and then they compare them to what they wrote down and they're in different places. They were on the phone instead of in person. All sorts of major differences. And people will say, I don't know why I wrote that 10 years ago because that's not true. I don't know why I would lie. And then the researchers like, Okay, so you thought you lied at that point? Yeah, I must have, because I was not there. Yeah, and they, they came up with, the number was 60% of the details of the memories were misremembered in the future. Isn't that the crazy? People actually, over time, sort of build these things, uh, these stories in their head, and they start to believe them. It's not necessarily a, a lie because they are trying to better their situation. 
it is a mistelling of the truth because our memory screws with us over a long period of time. The reason why I bring this up is because of what Mona said, and it is it is really one of the underlying principles of my book that I think um, you know will will not be necessarily understood in a in in a just a quick read, um, and that is exactly what she said: arrogance, arrogance. Uh, leads us to believe that we are right and everything we believe is right. I believe in the same stuff I've always believed. I believe that that the Bill of Rights, the Constitution in America is is good. But by by focusing on that, you stop listening to what other people are saying. And because they have nothing to teach you, they're just wrong. And if you start to listen to them, you can start to say, oh, 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 wait, I see what you're saying here. Okay, you're focused on this. I got, okay, you're right about that. You're right. However, come with me. But because they're not listening to you, you're not listening to them. Nobody says, oh, okay, wait, 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 wait. Yes, you're right about that. How many times have you done that in real life where you have to get through an argument and you're like, oh, okay, wait, 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 wait. Okay, yes, you're right about that, but that's not what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. That's not happening in our society because everyone's treating each other like an enemy. Everyone says, you're lying. Here's a case of Brian Williams, who everybody said he was lying, where science is showing, no, 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 even your memory is 60% wrong. That's pretty remarkable. Humility, humility is the key to what we're facing. You know, look at look just look at my tweets today. I I defended. Uh, no, I did not. How how do can I phrase this so it's most accurate? I believe we need to know exactly what Alex Jones did verbatim from these companies to get kicked off of LinkedIn and Pinterest. What are they? So we all know that the rules are this, and we don't violate them. That's what I'm stating online. You should see the hate mongering on all sides in response to that. Glenn Beck, Mercury. Glenn Beck. It's Tuesday, August 7th. This is the Glenn Beck program. Dinesh D'Souza um, is a guy that I have watched and respected for years. And what was the name of your first book, Dinesh? Oh, well, my original book was Illiberal Education. It was the book on political correctness. Uh-huh. And I didn't invent the term, but uh, it, that book popularized that yeah. phrase. You've been, 1991. Yeah, you've been, uh, I found you in probably the mid-90s. And um, I have followed you since. And you have become now a pretty good filmmaker. Uh, you have a new movie out. And this one is called, I'm sorry, what is it's it? called Death of a Nation. Death of a Nation. I saw it. Uh, I may be just, I was just straight up with you. I saw the trailer, and I saw that it was, uh, even the poster is half Lincoln's face and half Trump's face. And I thought to myself, Dinesh, good God, man. Good God. (laughs) However, I watched it because I know your movies and I know your intellect. There's about seven minutes. And and it's at the beginning about three and maybe at the end about three that if I brought somebody who was, you know, if, if I brought Jake Tapper to it, you know, or anybody who was very anti-Trump, their skin would crawl uh, because they wouldn't listen to what the message was. They would just see the comparison to the two. 
and you're not comparing the two, you're comparing the time that the two are entering in. Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, as a man, Lincoln was uh, brooding, uh, melancholy, philosophical. I mean, this is the uh, this is not Trump. We know that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they're they're actually opposite in personality and temperament. Mm-hmm. But um, in situations, there's an eerie similarity. And I think this is very important because particularly for people on the right side of the aisle, it is natural to compare Trump to the Reagan era. And is Trump like Reagan? And part of what I want to say is that we're not living in the Reagan era. And so a man like Reagan today, and I'm, I'm a young Reaganite, I became a conservative mm-hmm. in the Reagan era, but I think Reagan would be disheartened by our time, the incivility, the sheer savagery of it, yeah. the intolerance of it. He'd be a fish out of water. Uh, the water is just today roiled and ugly. Uh, but the man who would understand right away what's going on if he lived today would be Lincoln. Why? Because the water in Lincoln's time was even more roiled. Yeah. I mean, think about it. In 1860, no, uh, an outsider, a Republican, comes in. He wins a very narrow election in a three-man race. He was expected to lose, but the Democrats had two candidates in the race. They split the vote. And the moment he got elected, all hell broke loose. I mean, they were, and this wasn't just in the South, the Northern Democrats. Oh, yeah. Northern Democratic newspapers were openly calling to plunge the dagger into Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Southern Democrats showed that they were so unwilling to live with the election that they were willing to break up the country. And so that is the kind of toxic atmosphere we're living in now. And that was the purpose for, admittedly provocatively, yeah, yeah, yeah. morphing the two yeah. heads to say, look, Let's think with a little larger compass than just the 1980s. Okay, so um, you go into, you know, you hit that at the very beginning. And then you say, um, you know, let's let's look back at the situation. Let's look who is fighting for freedom, who is not fighting for freedom historically. Uh, and you make great case. And we can get into that here in a second. But I think the most powerful point in the in the movie is when you said, well, let's go talk to Mr. Spencer. Let's go talk to the 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 icon of the alt right. Why did you do that? So this is critical because um, in this movie, I pick up a theme that I, I actually began with in Hillary's yep. America, the last yep. movie, and that is the racist history of the Democratic Party. Um, and the Democratic Party, of course, is the party of slavery, uh, of segregation, of Jim Crow, of the Ku Klux Klan, of racial terrorism, of opposition to the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I show in this film that there's a deep fascist streak that ran through the Democratic Party, a kind of amazing mutual admiration society between the progressive Democrats on this side of the Atlantic and the fascists in Italy, the National Socialists in Germany. It's all in the movie. And then I take on the big switch, and I show how that is kind of a fake. This whole idea that Nixon, with a wily Southern strategy, brought the racist Dixiecrats into the Republic. None of this happened. Did you but- see, hang on just a second. Have you seen his movie yet? No. You, when you get to the, can you just yeah. tell the facts of the Dixiecrats? This, I have, I'm, I'm pretty well read on this stuff. Yeah. I had never heard this before. So the, the thesis is this. It's the Democrats sort of get out of jail free card, right? We may have been the bad guys, but there was this party switch that Nixon went to the Deep South. He campaigned with the racists. He brought him over to the Republican Party. So we hit this in a way in, 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 in a multiple punch. Number one, no one has ever uncovered a single racist campaign statement by Nixon. None. 
So if he's campaigning to the racist, he had to say something. So then the progressive Democrats go, well, you know what? Maybe he didn't do that, but he he, he spoke in racial code. He used phrases right. like law and order or drugs. But what this misses, I mean, you know. And we all know what that means. We all know what that means. Yeah, right. Well, you know, it's one thing after Ferguson, Missouri to say this. But yeah. remember in the 1960s and early 70s, the main issue was the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about draft dodgers. We're talking about guys like mm-hmm. Abby Hoffman mm-hmm. and Bill. Bill Ayers, who are who are uh, fomenting riots and bombing mm-hmm. things. We're talking about hippies and druggies like Timothy Leary, the Berkeley uh, professor, who was uh, advocating I, LSD. So, I was old enough to know. I was old enough to, during that time period to remember my parents talking about the problems in the country and what they always assigned the problems to were these damn hippies. You right. know, it was never it was never a race thing. It was these out of control, dope smoking, draft dodging hippies. Exactly. I mean, the Republican slogan from those days was the Democratic Party is the, par- the party of acid, amnesty and abortion. Notice that there isn't a racial uh, mm-hmm. thing there at all. Anyway, mm-hmm. bottom line of it is Nixon loses the Deep South which goes to George Wallace, the Democratic segregationist. Now, Nixon comes into office in 1969. What's the first thing he does? Affirmative action. He passes the first affirmative action laws, basically discriminating in favor of blacks and against whites. Now, think about it. If you're a racist, you're courting a racist base, are you going to actually put in laws that favor blacks over whites? And finally, the crusher. In the movie, I make a list of the Dixiecrats. Mm. There are about 150 of them. Uh, a bunch of senators. Let's, let me just because you're not seeing this visually. When you see this visually, it's overwhelming. <laughs> Boom! We put them up on the screen. You and, make a list of 150 Dixiecrats, and then I count how many of them moved over to the Republican Party, and it turns out no, exa- no, no, no. Oh. how many. I mean, you you would be. I mean, by you the just, Democrats saying it, you'd think 100, 120, 130. Okay, exactly. And so and the answer was, is in the Senate. One guy, Strom Thurmond. <laughs> one. And in the House, one guy, Albert Watson. One. And so 148 <laughs> oh Dixiecrats stayed in the Democratic Party. They died as Democrats. They were lying. They have buildings in Washington, D.C. named mm-hmm. after them right now. And uh, so wow. this, is the, this is the fable of the big switch. It's crushed. So the, then the question becomes, what is the only comeback for the left at this point? And the only comeback is Charlottesville. And the argument is, wait a minute, today... The neo-Nazis, the Klansmen, the white supremacists are right-wingers. There they are in Charlottesville. Look at them. They're wearing Trump hats. Now, we should step back and say for a minute, but just as a backdrop to this Richard Spencer business, that no one has actually ever done any empirical work on this. There's been no survey, no study of neo-Nazis or white supremacists to show, for example, that 90% of them voted for Trump. There's no data. Zero. The, only, the whole case hinges on a few images that are indelibly stamped in our mind from Charlottesville of these white supremacists who are right-wingers. Mm-hmm. And so what I do in the movie, and, and by the way, in, in the accompanying book of the same title, Death of a Nation, I actually look at all the leading white supremacists. There are about eight of them. And I show that every single one of them has a deep background in the left. All of them, without exception. Jason Kessler, the guy who organized the Charlottesville rally, uh, an Obama activist and an Occupy Wall Street activist. Uh, this is on the Southern Poverty Law Center website, by the way. So mm. the, le- the media knew about this at the time, but they suppressed it because it didn't fit their narrative. 
So then I decided in the movie, and this is what Glenn's alluding to, I said, let's bring out the poster boy of white supremacy, the guy who's so controversial that when he went to Florida, the governor declared a state of emergency. This is the white supremacist of white supremacists. And he is. And Richard Spencer is a Nazi. And he coined the term alt-right. He called it, coined the term alt-right. Mm-hmm. He presents himself on the right, so I put him in front of the camera, and I begin the interview. His, it, w- his wife is the official English translator of Alexander Dugan. Mm. And so it goes sort of like this. Um, uh, what do you think of the American founding? Horrible mistake. <laughs> I go, all men are created equal. True or false? False. I go, where do our rights come from? He goes, well, they don't come from God or anything like that. They don't come from nature. I said, well, well, I think we have a clip. Do we have a yeah, clip, yeah, Sarah? Do. Play a clip of this, please. As a right outside of a collective community, you have rights not eternally or given by God or, or by nature. Who, who gives them to us? You have them because you're a part of this community. Ultimately, the state gives those rights to you. So the state is the source of rights, not the individual. It simply is. What, what would be your take on, say, Reagan? I do not think that he was a great president. Who's your favorite president? There, there is something about uh, uh, Jackson. There's something about Polk as well, someone who only served one term. But I mean Jackson and Polk, as you know, both Democrats. Uh, party, I mean, party is just the, the vessel that that one uses. I mean, Jackson's the founder of the Democratic Party. Not only is Jackson the founder of the Democratic Party, Jackson is the biggest one of the, if not the biggest racist, with an exception of Woodrow Wilson, ever to be in our office. He was a stone cold race killer. I mean, there is the good thing about this, the beauty of all this stuff can be checked, right? This is when I speak on campus, young Mm -hmm. people, they won't believe you. So I say, listen, just 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 Google Andrew Jackson and go go to images online. You'll actually see an ad that he put in a Tennessee paper to capture one of his runaway slaves. And he offers a reward. But he basically says, if you can give the guy 300 lashes when you catch him. I'll give you an extra $50. So he actually wants the guy 300 lashes. I mean, that's whipping a man mm-hmm. almost to death. Uh, so, and you'll never, the kind of thing that the Democrats said about slaves and about race in the 19th century, there's nothing like this in the American founding. So there's an effort by the left to blame the founders for the crimes of the Democratic Party. In any event, I think what I think is remarkable about the Spencer interview, and it goes on and on. We mm-hmm. go on and discuss uh, all kinds of issues. Very obvious this guy is an atheist. He's not just a leftist. He's on the far left. Yeah, he's, a, he's, a, well, he's a fascist. He's, he's a, fascist. a national socialist. And a collectivist. And a, yeah, and a collectivist. Yeah. And the remarkable thing about it is there it is in the movie. We've put a clip out on social media. Dead silence from the mainstream media. This, Incredible. Their whole Charlottesville narrative is in ruins. And they kind of know it. Um, and also, this is, by the way, the beauty of a movie, because I, I lay all this out in the book, and I could have interviewed Spencer and published the transcript. But when you put it on the screen, and you see the guy, yeah. and it's coming out of the horse's mouth, it settles the argument. Are you staying for t- time on television with me today? I'm going to try to do that, okay, yes. because I, I, I want to talk to you about, I, I want to go a step further on, on this, because in the movie, you talk about, after the war, how the big switch happened, and they said, oh, I'll put uh, the fascists over here to the right. And I'd like to talk to you about that uh, more. in. It's in very eye-opening because, um, because prior to World War II, 
Everybody knew that fascism was on the left. The fascists knew it and the anti-fascists knew it. Um, Mussolini, for example, recognized FDR immediately as a kindred spirit. Mussolini reviews FDR's book in an Italian magazine. Basically, he goes, great guy. One of us. He's a fascist. (laughs) Uh, Hitler says the same thing, pretty much. Yeah, in the movie we actually have, I wish I could, could have, we could have done it in German, but we actually have long excerpts from the Volkischer Biobachter, the official Nazi newspaper, praising the New Deal. They basically go, our big fear is that the New Deal will fail. Because their idea is that, that, that FDR, like the Nazis, they're putting the common good over the individual good, it's state rights over individual rights, uh, and it's redistribution. Uh, there's a wonderful book that came out recently by um, the um, German scholar Gotts Eli. It's called Hitler's Beneficiaries. It talks about mm. how a lot of Hitler's hatred for the Jews and the confiscation of wealth of the Jews was to fund the Nazi welfare state. Mm-hmm. The Nazis wanted to redistribute. They yeah. needed money. And so the Jews played the role that today the left uses Wall Street bankers. Mm-hmm. And frankly, the rhetoric is very similar. Greedy swindlers. I mean, this was the staple of Nazi rhetoric. This is the staple of left-wing rhetoric. Uh, Hitler also distinguished between what he called productive capitalism, which would be the guy, the working class guy, and what he called finance capitalism. And notice the Democrats do the same thing. They don't attack Procter and Gamble. They attack Wall street Mm. they attack finance capitalism um and so these parallels are they're not only historical but they're with us today more in just a second uh with dinesh d'souza and his new movie which is out right now and really worth seeing if you can take your friend and say okay get past the abraham lincoln donald trump thing just get past that just you know, maybe stand out in the lobby for about five minutes and then come in. <laughs> you don't you, need to do that. <laughs> you, are gonna, you are going to have the most eye-opening experience. Everyone in this audience should see Death of a Nation. It's uh, in theaters right now. See it. It is really an important education to, uh, to score. Our, our sponsor this half hour is Filter By. Air pollution. Uh, air pollution is, you know, everywhere. It's even in the national parks. And, you know, so what, what does that mean to you? Well, what it means is, especially right now, if you are running your air conditioning all the time, all of that pollen, all of the pollution, everything that's in the air is getting sucked in and stuck in your air filter. That's what it's supposed to do. So it just it cleans your air into your house. However, if you don't change it out, uh, what happens is it causes your um, your HVAC system to run uh, at a higher rate and it, it's harder to draw the air, which causes it to, you know, break down more. I don't know about you, but I live in Texas. My air conditioning breaks down. I, I have to stop my family from suicide. I really I don't know how you can live here without air conditioning. So get your filters changed. And you could do it now with filterby.com. Filterby.com, leading provider of HVAC filters for homes and small businesses. They carry over 600 sizes. They ship for free within 24 hours. They'll custom make them if they have to. Filterby, family-owned business. All of the uh, the filters are made here in America. It's filterby.com. Go there now. You can get 5% off the order for making your life easier if you just uh, um, put it on renewal so they automatically send them out to you. It's filter, filter, B-U-Y, filterby.com. Welcome back to the uh, program with Dinesh D'Souza, who has a new book, or sorry, a new new movie out that you, you really need to see, Death of a Nation. Um, Dinesh, can I, can I switch uh, topics with you here for just a second? Um, did you hear what happened to Alex Jones? I didn't. Okay. 
Alex Jones, I want to make it really clear. I've been against Alex Jones and what he says and does on the air. I think he is a very poison-ridden guy um, and has caused a lot of trouble in this country. And I think he's sick, quite honestly. Democrats used to love him when he was bashing Bush and saying yeah. he was responsible for 9-11. Yeah, the 9-11th truth, truther and, you know, Bush blew up the levees and all of that stuff comes from me. He's just poison. He's just poison. However... I can't seem to get a real clear understanding on, for instance, what exactly he did on LinkedIn to get him (laughs) thrown into a digital ghetto. He has been walled off where, you know, hey, you can be as free as you want in your church. You do whatever you want in church. The minute you step outside. No, we've we have taken a guy who is just as bad as Louis Farrakhan. But Farrakhan gets a pass. He doesn't. Now, he's like Spencer. He's not a conservative. Is this concerning to you at all about just one day you're there and next day you're completely erased? Uh, Deeply. Um, I think this is actually um, very scary. And uh, my question is for... First of all, where's the ACLU on this? Oh, yeah. They're they're not... Nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. And the other thing is that I'm seeing all this jubilation over the fact, hey, we got rid of Alex Jones. But Alex Jones is the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of other people we need to get rid of next. Who's next? And make into digital non-persons. Now, do we want to live in this kind of society? What what I find remarkable is the ease with which people uh, adopt this fascist mindset. Mm -hmm. A fascist mindset it is, where you're singling out people. And and in a sense, we don't even have to discuss Alex Jones's views. They're immaterial. I don't even care what they are. Yeah. It wouldn't matter. Uh, uh, either we believe in uh, a First Amendment, either we believe well, in they having... Well, they will say, this is the argument today. Well, the government didn't silence him. Well, that's a distinction without a difference. I mean, if all of the media just blocks him out and he has no access, you can have a cute little website, but... Look, the world is different. Yes. I mean, strictly speaking, the First Amendment is a limitation on the government. I agree with that. Just as just as the uh, 14th Amendment is a limitation on the government discriminating, let's say, on the basis of race. Right. But can you imagine if high tech companies decide that here's a black guy? We don't like the fact that he's black. We're a private company. Don't talk to us about the Constitution (laughs) because we're private. We can do whatever we want. The left would never say that. They would be like hound these companies and make sure that they respect these fundamental non-discrimination principles that are enshrined not just in our laws but in our in our society and so the first amendment to me is basic uh and this i think is the kind of fundamental violation that requires very concerned action dinesh d'souza i uh i believe we're going to be seeing him tonight at uh, five o'clock you won't want to miss that we'll have a uh, a little longer conversation. Dinesh D'Souza, again, see the film, Glenn. Death of a Nation. It is uh, available everywhere. It's hard to sell your home. Uh, a lot of times, if you don't catch the market exactly right, it might take a little bit of effort. You need someone who knows what they're doing. And you need someone who's going to keep you up to date. I tried to sell a house out of uh, state, uh, and it was a tough process. You have to have somebody who not only knows what they're doing, but is really engaged in making your home sell. And that's why uh, they made realestateagentsitrust.com. Realestateagentsitrust.com is a website with over 1,200 real estate agents that have been screened uh, through a bunch of different categories to make sure they are performing at a high level and that they're trustworthy. And when you start in the biggest financial transaction of your entire life, 
when you engage in something like that, it has to work. You can't screw it up. You can't have somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. You can't have somebody who makes a little bit of a boo-boo. These are hundreds of thousands of dollars we're talking about. If you need to sell your house fast and for the most money, or if you're looking to buy, go to realestateagentsitrust.com. You'll be introduced to the best agent in your town, realestateagentsitrust.com. We pause for some just some good news for a second. Uh, I just heard yesterday from uh, a guy in uh, Los Angeles who is a, a large filmmaker who uh, who called up and said, um, "I uh, is anybody making a movie about the Nazarene fund?" And I said, uh, "No." He said, "I just found out about it. This dwarfs Schindler and his list. This dwarfs it." It does. And that is you. I really want you to know that if you have been involved in the Nazarene Fund, you, you only, I think, in your passing will you realize what you've done and realize uh, the impact that you have made. You have saved so many lives. Now, most people don't know this uh, because the mainstream media is just not covering it on 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 any front. Uh, but ISIS is still um, is still operative. They have about six thousand square miles that they are running. Uh, we know of about three hundred uh, or sorry, three thousand missing Yazidis uh, that are being held as slaves. There's an untold number of Christians, uh, women, and children that are being held as sex slaves and sold in the open market. And because of you and the Nazarene Fund and your support, um, you're changing the world and saving these people. Um, I want to tell you a couple of stories, um, one that we're working on and one that um, has just been resolved. But I, I want to bring in um, our chief operations officer. He's uh, Lieutenant Colonel Rudy Atala. Uh, uh, Atala and, and Rudy was with uh, the Air Force. Were you with the Air Force for 20 years, Rudy? Uh, 21 years. 21 years. Um, And now you're, you know, the CEO, the COO of the Nazarene Fund. And and we can't thank you. You've done so much um, uh, to help free these people. Can you tell me what happened to the uh, uh, Schalzins, the Schalzin family? Yes, absolutely. Uh, So on the 25th of, uh, of July, about a week ago or so, uh, there was a large coordinated attack by uh, ISIS fighters in uh, the southern part of Syria called uh, Suida. And uh, the coordinated attack uh, started at uh, 5 o'clock in the morning. Um, uh, several suicide bombers entered the provincial town of Suida. Uh, they detonated themselves in strategic areas, and, and a battle ensued. And while that was going on, uh, at the same time, other ISIS fighters went uh, along the eastern front of the city on the on the other side and uh, kidnapped close to 40 uh, women and children. And the uh, the Shalhin's uh, family were part of that. So uh, Mrs. Abir Shalhin and her four children uh, were kidnapped from the the Shviki village, which is part of the on the outskirts of Sweda, and uh, and taken away. Were the girls, the three girls, or, or do you know the makeup of the children? Uh, yeah, I have the names of the cho- the children. Uh, I believe it's uh, um, it's uh, two two girls and two boys. So, are the boys in more danger? Because I know the girls are kept for sex slaves. Uh, 
uh, are the boys in more danger of like organ harvesting? Uh, no, actually, the organ harvesting, which we can talk about, is it can happen to anybody as long as they are a match, uh, you know, for for some buyer in Eastern Europe or Gulf states. Uh, then uh, uh, the ISIS uh, fighters will use them as a commodity. Um, they're doing this in refugee. They're, they, you know, they abduct people from different refugee areas. Uh, across uh, different parts of Syria. Uh, in this case, by the way, on this attack in the Suida area, uh, on the 2nd uh, of, um, of August, uh, one 19-year-old college student from that village um, uh, refused to, to cooperate with uh, the ISIS fighters, so they, they uh, decapitated him um, on, and videotaped it and sent, and, and sent a copy of the video to his family and to the village to scare everybody. So uh, two days ago, the villagers responded angrily by by lynching uh, captured ISIS fighters in the town square. So this is an ongoing event right now. Um, by the way, this attack caused 204 uh, people. Uh, the, the death toll was 204 people dead, 180 civilians wounded. And the 40 or 45 that were kidnapped, do we know where they are? So they are. They were moved uh, east uh, to a pl- in an, in the direction of a, an area called Badia, uh, which is a uh, the desert area in central Syria, uh, stretching out eastwards towards the Iraqi border. And mom is quite pregnant, is she not? Yeah, mom. Mom gave delivery in, uh, during this captivity in in this past week. She was uh, pregnant with their fifth child. So what is the is are we able to do anything to help these people? Is there a Yeah. Yes, we're planned? we're in touch with, we're in touch with the local community in Sweda and uh, we've already have our assets working uh on the ground uh to try to pinpoint their precise the precise location. Um the ISIS uh the uh the ISIS kidnappers um uh, are trying to uh, pawn off or at least uh, get rid of some of the hostages by trading them for some of their fighters with the uh, Assad regime. Um, and we're we're in the process of also doing our due diligence to try to figure out where they're being kept so we can we can find a way to, to retrieve them or bring them back. Rudy, when we first started the Nazarene Fund, you weren't with us yet. Um, and uh, we were just, I mean, we were just rookies. We didn't know what we were doing. And we figured, I think, I think it was, wasn't it $20,000 for a family of four or $20,000 per person, something like that, um, to be able to get them out, to rescue them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. Now in the few years that we've been doing this, and we, since you've joined us here, uh, what, a year ago or so, um, uh, you've got that number down to what? Yeah, I, I brought it down to uh, $67 per person, and I, I, uh, I joined you two years ago. Um, so it, as it was being developed, I, I began helping you. Uh, yeah. And uh, now that we're moving, now that we're moving large groups of people, we've got it down to sixty-seven dollars a person. Sixty-seven dollars per person. So yes, as sir. we're talking about going and rescuing uh, slaves, we're talking sixty-seven dollars per person. Uh, yeah. It's kind of puts it into the 
the Schindler's list, that last scene. How much is this worth? How much was this ring? Why did I keep this ring? $67. That's remarkable. Uh, and, and Rudy, you are 100% responsible for that. And, and I can't thank you enough for that. Um, can you tell me um, the, the good news about Martine? Yes, Martine is a great story. I mean, at least now it's a great story. Her, her, the, the tragedy began um, four years ago in 2014. Um, her and her family, she's a Yazidi. Her and her family come from the Sinjar area. Uh, in a, and if anybody wants to read the story, they can go on the Nazarene, uh, the, the NazareneFund.org uh, and and read about the details of the story on our blog site. We just posted it. Um, she was abducted when she was uh, she was kidnapped when she was eight. Um, uh, when uh, ISIS fighters came in to basically take sex slaves uh, for themselves from from uh, the uh, the Sinjar province area. Um, so she was moved around uh, inside of uh, of Syria. Uh, multiple locations, and uh, when she turned nine, her captors, uh, you know, using um, ISIS logic, that the prophet's, one of the prophet's wives was nine years old, therefore, when Martine turned nine, she was of legal age to be raped, and she was raped, in some cases, twice a day, every day, uh, for, the, for the rest of the remainder of time in captivity. Um, and uh, she was beaten, uh, tortured, uh, essentially an indentured slave. And now that she's 12, about a month ago, um, she was rescued, and we took custody of her uh, and her father and brought them to a safe location inside, inside Iraq where we maintain, uh, you know, uh, an eye on her. We've got her going through medical treatments, and we have uh, uh, worked closely with the Australian government to get her and her father uh, safely and securely moved to Australia um, after we find one of her sisters that we are in the current negotiations for with, uh, with the second in command of uh, the ISIS uh, organization in Idlib, Syria. Um, when you say negotiations, we don't pay for these people. We're not giving no. money to these people. No, I, you know, I, my military background and my <laughs> uh, will not ever allow me to uh, to pay a terrorist. Uh, I, I refuse to do that. Um, they, the the second in command, he's an ISIS prince, um, has asked for seventy five thousand dollars for her release. Um, we negotiated that price down to forty five, although we're not going to give him a penny of that of that money. We are working on a strategy to uh, to get her back. Um, Okay. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, let's not let's not go any further than that. Um, yeah. uh, and uh, how did her dad find her? So going to back to Martine, what happened is she was moved around quite a bit when um, U.S. and coalition forces began uh, strikes on Raqqa, and uh, and ISIS was under pressure. Martine was moved from uh, from family to family, eventually ending up with an ISIS uh, member who had multiple wives, and one of the wives took a liking to Martine, um, seeing what she had gone through for, uh, you know, for four years. And, and so she uh, reached out to, uh, to, to somebody um, in one of the open markets, a Kurdish woman uh, who was a trafficker, and, uh, and, and told the Martine story. Uh, meanwhile, uh, some ISIS fighters came came in asking for Martine so they can sell her back to her father. 
and Martine said she wasn't Yazidi because she didn't she knew her father didn't have the money to sell her. So the the woman that took a liking to her uh, reached out to a Kurdish woman, and uh, that Kurdish woman, you know, had some contacts. Uh, they took a picture of Martine, and then eventually it percolated to her dad. And once he found out, he was beside himself. Oh, I bet. Um, I bet. And then that, we worked on that to get to get them back together. Yeah. All right, Rudy. Um, uh, my prayers, my family's prayers, are with you. And uh, is there anything that you need? Well, we need, uh, in addition to prayers, uh, we are we are working right now very heavily on trying to shut down four organ, organ harvesting farms um, in uh, northern Syria. So we need all the resources we can to do so. Um, you know, we've opened up a front in Burma. We're opening up a few fronts in uh, in Africa where slave trade and uh, sex slavery is ongoing. So, um, and, uh, you know, this year alone, we're going to be on track to move 14,000 people out of Syria, Iraq to Australia. So, uh, just, you know, and it's, just, it's remarkable. Rudy, uh, I, I thank you. Thank you so much for everything. Um, thank I, you so much. I cannot um, express to you in strong enough terms. I, I mean, I think we're on track this year to move 14,000 people. Those are people, those are Christians and Yazidis that are going to be killed or enslaved by ISIS or some arm of Islam. Uh, 14,000. State Department's not doing this. 14,000 this year alone. I know of a couple of things that are happening right now that are just whew, incredible. Um, and someday a film will be made about this. Um, but it is heroicism unlike you can imagine 67 or 62 or 67 dollars per person per person and we um are stretching our budget as far as we can and we really need your help if you would like to help us even five dollars a month just make a renewing gift five dollars a month ten dollars a month whatever you can do please Become an abolitionist. Join us and help us save these these Christians and uh, religious minorities from being rounded up, enslaved, or killed. This is the slave trade of our lifetime. TheNazarenefund.org. TheNazarenefund.org. Or you can go to MercuryOne.org. So, Stu, the world melts down. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, I know this is hard to believe, but you know the the dollar uh, inflation kind of is bad. The global reserve currency. Yeah, is gonna, gonna, I know, I, I know, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. So I have this from the Canadian Mint. I have a Maple Flex bar, mm-hmm. uh, which has nineteen individual bars of silver, uh, and uh, so I can go and say, "Hey, I've, you know, how, how much for how much how much for that uh, bag of groceries over there." And they tell me, and I'm like, okay, well, this is a quarter ounce of silver, and it's from the Royal Canadian Mint, and it's, you know, obviously, you know, usable money. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I can trade you for that. Yeah. What do you What do you have? Well, I mean, I, I can't, I guess, speak to my specific situation. Yeah. I, I guess I could say that a lot of people would realize that after you break those bars apart, a lot of times you leave them around the studio. So <laughs> there is opportunity for right. uh, enterprising uh, thieves. Uh, 
opportunistic people to solve entrepreneurs. These situ- yes, entrepreneurs. to solve these situations. Yes. Okay. Uh, All right. And, but and let's it, say you weren't around the studio mm. and couldn't just uh, pick up the leftovers that I do not leave laying around because I know of sticky fingered people like you. Uh, well, then you're screwed. Yeah, uh, pretty screwed. much. That's why you, you probably you probably have to make a phone call. Yeah. Uh, mm. Maple Flex. The Maple Flex bar is uh, from the Royal Canadian Mint. It is truly uh, remarkable and and great and you know can be used in your precious metals IRA. I want you to find out all the information now at Goldline. Visit goldline.com. That's goldline.com or call them. They're waiting for your phone call right now. Call and find out if it's right for you. 866 Goldline. 1866 Goldline or goldline.com. Glenn Beck. Hey, don't forget, um, download our new podcast, The News and Why It Matters. It posts uh, every day around 5.30 or so Eastern Time. Uh, and it's a great recap of the news as you're driving home for the day. It's uh, The News, Why It Matters, and some laughs as well. All new podcasts. Get it where you find your podcast now. The News and Why It Matters. Make sure you subscribe and uh, review. Glenn Beck. Mercury.